Praise God. Well, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy I'm here. And I'm so happy Jesus and the Holy Spirit is here, aren't you? I mean, I can just sense him. It's not good when your notes are upside down. There we go. So very, we're very happy to be here. And we're going to figure out that year yet. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> um, but we're so thankful. I'm so thankful for this ministry for you guys. For I just, I just am so happy about what the Lord's doing and excited for the future and to just find out what the Lord's going to do. And girls, the worship, honestly. It was amazing. Where's the other one? Awesome. So good. It was so good. And we need that. We need those moments in his presence just to be refreshed and to be, and I just really feel like recentered. Amen. Man, thank you, Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you for the, for the worship where we were ushered into the very throne room of God. Where you released to us help and grace and mercy in our time of need. God, we love you so much. We thank you for what you purposed and your timing for this weekend, God. And what you have purposed in your heart for these two sessions that we're going to share together. We thank you for what you've already done. You've met us this morning. You broke through our hearts in, in real and tangible ways. Thank you. God, we could never thank you enough. And so, God, I ask you tonight to speak your word through me, God. I thank you, Father, that the anointing breaks the yoke. And I thank you, God, that tonight our minds will be open, our hearts will be receptive, and God, our spirits will be willing, willing to do what you're asking us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's begin tonight opening our Bibles to John chapter 18, and verses I'm going to read verses 33 through 38, and I'm going to use the Passion Translation. Anybody familiar with the Passion Translation? I love it. I love it. I'm like, hurry up and get the rest of the Bible done. But I can't imagine what a task that would be, you know. So we'll wait. <laughs> Amen. So here we go. John 18, 33 through 38. This is uh, towards the end of Jesus' life. He's meeting with Pilate here. And uh, so a very tenuous situation. But, you know, Jesus is never nervous. That's just a good one right there, because sometimes I am wonder about how things are going to go. Verse 33, upon hearing this, Pilate went back inside his palace and summoned Jesus. Looking him over, Pilate asked him, are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, are you asking because you really want to know, or are you only asking this because others have said it about me? Pilate responded, only a Jew would care about this. Do I look like a Jew? It's your own people and your religious leaders that have handed you over to me. So tell me, Jesus, what have you done wrong? Jesus looked at Pilate and said, the royal powers of my kingdom realm doesn't come from this world. If it did, then my followers would be fighting to the end to defend me from the Jewish leaders. My kingdom realm authority is not from this realm. Then Pilate responded, oh, so then you are a king. You're right, Jesus said, I was born a king. And I have come into this world to prove what truth really is. I want that to be tattooed on your heart tonight. I've come into this world, this is, this is what Jesus, so it's almost like he's saying this was my mission. This is the end of his life. He's not saving any words for tomorrow, right? He's saying it. He said, I've come into the world to prove what truth really is. And everyone who loves truth will receive my words. We got to love truth, y'all. Pilate looked at Jesus after that bomb of a statement and said, what is truth? 
As silence filled the room, Pilate went back out to where the Jewish leaders were waiting and said to them, he's not guilty. I couldn't even find one fault in him. It amazes me that Pilate could stand in the presence of truth and say, what is truth? What, what is truth, Jesus? And he's looking it right in the face, amen? I think it's important for us to uh, understand this question. I think it's important for us to look at Pilate's response to this question because I believe our, our generation, those that are alive on the earth right now are asking that question, what is truth? So what did Pilate do? What, how did Pilate respond to this truth? First of all, in the following verses here in chapter 18, we see he bowed to the will of the people. You know, uh, he went out and said Jesus wasn't guilty. How, ma how many of us know that Jesus still died? Right? But he bowed his will. And I feel very much in this hour that the church is bowing its will as to what truth is concerned to the will of the people. Well, what do you think it is? How do you see that? What do you think that verse means? Statistics show that only 9% of Christians read their Bible every day. 9% of Christians. Is it any wonder that we don't know what truth is or we're not able to defend it or stand upon it or we're not even don't even have the strength in our own hearts as Christians? I'll throw myself in with that group. I'm not saying I don't read my Bible every day, but we're all, it's our family, right? Right? And so if one is weak, we're all weak. We have to be willing to stand for truth. And how can we stand for truth when we don't know what truth is? Just tap yourself for something. Say, hey, this is a big question, <laughs> right? Okay. So secondly, so first of all, he says he bowed to the will of the people. So he didn't, he didn't stand for Jesus, right? He didn't stand for truth. Secondly, he had Jesus scourged. Now, I don't, I don't want to go into all the aspects of why. I mean, this was like double punishment, and there's so many things with Roman law and even that this, where this is wrong. But he abused him, and he punished Jesus. And I, I want to ask ourselves, is our perspective of truth honoring to God, or is it nothing like the Bible says? I hope you're ready for hard questions. I should have warned you ahead, but it's too late. Truth looks like something. Truth is something. Truth is, a, is not a flexible thing that changes from week to week and generation to generation. In an effort to be inclusive, even Christians have started to, to cave on what I, what I would call non-negotiables in the body of Christ and move towards a more universalistic religion. Okay? Can you just, I'm big into statistics, especially on this stuff, so just listen as best you can. I have some of them on PowerPoints, but not these. A startling 80% of Christians believe any religion will get a person into heaven. Can I just talk to you? 80% of Christians, not the world, 80% of Christians believe that any type of religion will get you into heaven. That's universalism. 56% of Christians believe that you can get to heaven even if you don't believe anything at all. Okay? This would be, sad. This would be funny if it wasn't true. I mean, these are people that are filling the churches in this nation. Come on. Worse yet... It's just, it's just terrible. So there's, there's no, when there's no absolute idea of right and wrong, we can see how this is infiltrated into the church belief system. And so then we have to change our doctrine to say, well, everybody just goes. Everybody just goes. No wonder there's no evangelism in the church. I'm just saying. The third thing that Pilate did, so he, uh, he bowed to the will of the people. He had him scourged. And the third thing that he did is he washed his hands of it. And I just really want to get in all of your stuff and just say we cannot do this in our generation. 
we cannot wash our hands of the truth. We cannot turn our back and say, you do what you want with them. We can't wash our hands of our responsibility to carry the truth to the next generation. We cannot. Let's look at Matthew 27, 24. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was rising, he tried to let him go. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. He washed his hands of the truth and let it go to someone else. We cannot leave this to another time, another generation. We must carry truth we have to teach it, carry it, live it, and actually learn it. Yes, for, those if, for those of us that even feel like maybe we've arrived and we know truth, what are we leaving to the next generation? Quick question, what, what, what do your children believe about the virgin birth? What do your grandchildren believe about the virgin birth? Can, can they defend it in a conversation? I mean, I'm asking myself, what do my children know about the Bible being inerrant and inspired by God? Are they able to elucidate that in a conversation? I'm asking that. We cannot just say, well, I know what that means. What do our children know? What do our grandchildren know? Amen? 6%, okay, this is a very small number, but currently, 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. Uh, 6%. I mean, when I was younger, I used to jump on chairs. Y'all have to help me so I don't have to go to that length, okay? 6%. I mean, how much, how much more can we let it slip? See, we have washed our hands of truth. We're going to talk a little bit about worldview today and tomorrow. But we have to ask ourselves, what is truth? And maybe, what does it matter? Let's go to Hosea chapter 4. Dive into this. Are you ready to dive in tonight? I call tonight's message the epidemic because I think there is an epidemic in the, in the church where truth concern, is concerned. Hosea 4. Hear the word of the Lord. It's funny you said that tonight. We're here to hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, Hosea says. You children of Israel, for the Lord brings a charge against the inhabitants of the land. There is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. I just want to say holy smokes. I mean, I'm choking on this right now because I think this, this is what he could say to us. Right? There's no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery... This isn't some modern translation. This is New King James, right? They break all restraint with bloodshed upon bloodshed. Therefore, the land will mourn. And everyone who dwells there will waste away. With the beasts of the field and the birds of the air, even the fish of the sea will be taken away. Now let no man contend or rebuke another, for your people are like those who contend with the priest. Therefore, you shall stumble in the day. Stumble in the day, not at night, not when it's dark, not when it's hard to see. It's even hard to see in the day. You'll stumble in the day. The prophet also shall stumble with you in the night, and I will destroy your mother. I don't know what that means, but God have mercy. And then look at verse 6. We know this one. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest for me, because you've forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. And I'm just saying, God, no, not my kids, not your kids, not this next generation, no. But all of that, you see, the premise and the context of that verse is upon having no truth, no mercy, no knowledge of God in the land, no love for truth, really, we could say. And this is the condition of it. You know, Hosea was a contemporary of Isaiah, and I know you know this verse. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard, lift up a standard against him. And I believe that standard is truth 
But I, really, I also believe that the enemy has come in like a flood. Yes. Anybody awake? Yes. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go to 1 John 5. I'm just, we're, gonna, we're pounding these scriptures because I want to develop this in our spirits and we understand where we are today. I think we've spent a lot of times wringing our hands and wondering, God, what can we do? What's happened? I honestly am waking up to the fact and saying, how did we get this far in a couple generations? You know, and I, I honestly feel like the slide is so strong that if we honestly don't dig our heels and I don't know what will happen to the kids, our, my kids, your kids, and our grandchildren, what, how we have to do something, even if it's not enough to turn the whole thing, come on, I want to turn it as much as we can in our generation to give our kids a fighting chance at propagating the truth in their generation. First John chapter five, verse 19. We know, I love things that we know. We know that we are of God. See, that's so encouraging. And look at this, though. This is something else that we know. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. I've been preaching this verse for about a year. I just, I cannot get away from it because it shows what, what's happening. And it begins to give us an idea of, of where this is at. I'm not going to uh, give history on that, but l- let's look at this in the Amplified. So it says, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The New Living says the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Can, can we all just kind of say, well, that makes sense for some of the things that are happening. The NIV says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, when we talk about the world, and this is where we begin to get understanding of these concepts, when we talk about the world, we automatically think planet Earth. Okay? Hang in there with me. But the world is the Greek word cosmos. And that means that world, that Greek word cosmos, it does not describe the Earth or the universe or planetary systems, it denotes culture society, and the systems in which mankind lives and functions. It denotes, I think I have this, yeah, if if you just want to follow me with those definitions, I think this is slide number two. It'll just help you. You can take pictures with your iPhones. You can get it. I'm big into instructing you, and I want you to get all my words, and I talk like a fire hose, so just hang in there, okay? So when we talk about that, there you go, It, it denotes systems, Okay, when we talk about the world system, it talks about our education system, our entertainment system, our government, every human sphere, the whole world. These systems lie under the sway of the wicked one. Okay, the cosmos is where Satan operates. Okay, we think he has just his little horns and he's sitting on his throne in hell. No, the boy is busy. There's anything good about the devil is he's a busy devil and he never sleeps. Come on. He is in this to win it. Though even though he's he's a lost cause and he's gonna lose, he's in it to win it. And he means to. So he he works 24-7 to infiltrate these systems and influence us and the generations. Amen. It, this, it, this pictures Satan as being the ruler of the lost culture and the lost systems that are dominated every sphere of mankind. Those systems are where Satan temporarily operates. Now, you know, when Christians overtake these systems, right, you can change culture. I've been places where the entire culture was changed by Christianity. Maybe if I have time, I'll tell you a story. But it's powerful. But otherwise, he operates in this system. Let me just tell you a story. I have to now. I said it. We were in uh, Alamalanga, Guatemala. That's a lot to say, so just appreciate that. Uh, We were there, and that's a place that has literally been taken over by the Spirit of God. It's one. I don't know if you have ever heard of George Otis and his series, The Transformation. I mean, we're talking 80s right now. But he, they would go in and pray. 
do prayer and try to change a culture. Well, this culture was so bad, like 95% of the people were drunk all the time. They were laying in the streets. They couldn't even bring in one harvest a year. They were poverty, poverty, poverty. There was so much witchcraft and everything. I mean, it's a long story, but this is the the just of it. Well, they started a prayer meeting there. Someone started a prayer meeting, broke the the demonic power over the city, and every almost everyone is saved there now. I I was there, okay? I walked in this city. It's the only place I've been outside of the United States that I could say I could live here. Where literally when you walked into this city, you felt the peace of God. A lot of times when you're out of the country, you'll think, who's watching me? You have to, have you ever been? And you just kind of have to watch your surroundings. And I mean, you know, it's not always safe places you go. This literally felt like I was home. It's, it's the strangest thing I've ever felt outside of the United States. And so, um, I mean, I haven't felt that safe in some places in the U.S. is what I'm saying. So, uh, but anyway, it was so amazing. And so now they have, they literally have closed all their jails there, which were full all the time before. They've closed all their jails and turned them into like community centers. You guys, this is not a story. I was there. Okay, I saw these places in Spanish. All of the names have like Joho or Rafa Bakery in Spanish. I don't know the baker something. But in all the names have God in them. All the business names have God in them and blessing. You just can't believe it. And then we saw the crops there. Carrots the size of my forearm. Cabbages bigger than a basketball. Three crops a year. Y'all, this is a third world country and these dudes are driving Mercedes trucks to take their crops. I saw them with my own eyes. But bigger than that, the joy and the presence of God in the land. You see, that's reclaiming land for the God. But see, right now, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And that that place had been under the sway of the wicked one. But I'm telling you these things to tell you something can be done about it. You see, the the true danger is when these systems begin to infiltrate the church. These worldly systems infiltrate the church and our doctrine and our theology, which is currently what's happening. Okay, 2 Corinthians, let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, who is that? You know, Satan, right? Has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Now, this word blinded, it means to envelop with smoke, And I think that's such a picture. I I feel like we live in a time when there's so many smoke screens. Like you don't even know what's true. And you're looking through. You're trying to discern what is true. Amen? All right, another verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 11. Lest Satan should take advantage. You see, can you see from these verses that the devil is busy and he wants to do something? Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, I don't know if you think that's an iPad or a cell phone. That was a joke. His devices. But that Greek word is no, nous or nos, N-O-U-S, and it describes the mind or the intellect. So Satan's plot is to fill our mind with the wrong kind of thinking. Okay. Satan schemes and works. He never says, I'm coming to make you think like me. He comes through our movies and our advertising and TikTok. Come on. (laughs) You can just say, Jesus, thank you. (laughs) Amen. But he comes. He comes through all those things to influence us and get us to think a certain way. 
Romans 1. I'm going to look at this, and I have this on the slides as well. Uh, have you ever heard of Rick Renner? Amazing scholar. This is his rendition of Romans 1, 21 and 22. So listen to this. Although society once had a general acquaintance of God, a general knowledge of God, and a reverence for things related to God, a time came when people found it no longer fashionable to give God his due reverence. Rather than be grateful to God for their blessings, they forgot who blessed them and ceased to be thankful. They turned from God and as a result, they began to veer morally, which resulted in their thinking becoming laced with error. That affected how they reasoned about everything. They alleged it was all right to believe things that are not supported by correlating facts and evidence. We're living this right now, y'all. And eventually, their conclusions became totally out of touch with reality. The so-called leaders of a God-rejecting society constantly assert that they are brilliant intellectuals of a new way of thinking, even though it is difficult to fathom how they could claim such a thing. How could anyone think what they propose is normal? Let me give you those verses out of the New King James. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. This is where we are right now. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, 1 Timothy 4 tells us that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, amen, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own consciences seared with a hot iron. The message said in verse 2, 1 Timothy 4, 2, these liars have lied so well and for so long they've lost their capacity for truth. Let me give you another little example. How many of you ever remember, many of us were alive during this time and so we don't, we do know President Bill Clinton. Not going to say anything personally about him, but 1998 found that his approval rating was 10 points higher than before the scandal broke. Get this in your mind. That people approved, 10% of the people approved more of him after the scandal broke. Okay, look at this. His approval rating hovered between 62 and 71% throughout that year, even after the House of Representatives voted to impeach him. I, I promised I wouldn't say anything. And you see, it's one thing for all of us in the world to think like that, but when this thinking, this mixture, and this misunderstanding, and this clouding of truth comes into the church, we're in trouble. There's, a, there's a, a movement right now, and I'll just, there's hours of teaching on this, but it's, just take note of this term, postmodernism. How many of you have never heard of that term, postmodernism? It's okay if you haven't, all right? So that's basically something that started in the 1800s with the Enlightenment. Um, it's where they claim that truth and logic are mere social constructions, okay? There's no absolute truth. I'm going to give you some tenets of it, of it in just a minute. Um, but it's basically, uh, well, we'll get to that. But I, want, I just want to show you, but that postmodernism, that kind of thinking has seeped in very deeply into our liberal theology. You know, because we have to look at the church as a whole. We can say, well, we don't believe that. Well, good for you. But the church as a whole is on a dive, and so let me show you something. I brought some, some, uh, one, a graphic or two to show you. Uh, I had got this one. Um, it's the orange and white one. This graphic actually came off a church's Facebook page. Now, notice this with me. Huh? No. See, good. I, wa I want to shock you a little bit tonight. Seriously. This came off a of church's, but it came off a of church's Facebook page. And they said the Bible isn't the word of God. I was so mad. And I just read one line. 
The Bible isn't self-interpreting. I'm not going to take time to explain all this. I could teach this line by line. Uh, the Bible isn't a science book, isn't an answer or rule book. In other words, we shouldn't live by the Bible. A church is saying this. It's not inerrant or infallible. Without, it's not without error, and it's not incapable of fulfillment. This is what they said the Bible is, and I want to explain this because it looks good on the surface, and this is why it's sucking in a whole generation. The Bible is a product of community. In other words, the community decides what the text means. Not history, not scholarship, not theology, not the Bible itself, but the community decides what the text means. It's a library of text, so it's just old writings. That's it. It's multivocal, many voices. No, it's one voice. The Holy Spirit is the author of the scripture. It's a human response. The Bible's a human response to God. No, the Bible is a gift from God to us of the words of God. And it's living and dynamic. And, and you think, you think, oh good, they finally got one right. No. You know how they're trying to make, they're saying that the Constitution is fluid and dynamic now. They're trying to say we can change the meaning of it. That's what they say about the Bible. We can change the meaning. This, again, this is from a church's website. Deconstructionism. Have you heard of that term where people are deconstructing their faith? Faith. We're losing an entire generation to this, this fallacy that you can deconstruct your faith. Uh, let me just give you a few names. Have you ever heard of Kevin Max from DC Talk? He can, deconstructed his faith and lost it. Michael Gunger, how many of you have ever heard of him? Worship leader. He was a PK, grew up in the church, and it was reported in a 2018 article that, that Michael isn't a uh, regular part of church. For a season, he even embraced atheism. Okay? Now, let me sh can I show you one of his Twitter uh, graphics? I'm going to. Here it is. This is what Michael says now. Jesus was Christ. Buddha was Christ. Muhammad was Christ. Christ is a word for the universe seeing itself. You are Christ, and we are the body of Christ. This is, this is a former worship leader, pastor's kid. And you know, it doesn't bother you, and I wish I, wish I wouldn't have chopped it so much when, on my editing, but the little red at the bottom shows how many people this has impacted. How many people, you know, it's the influence, okay, the influence of social media and what these people who led thousands and maybe millions of youth in worship and into the presence of God are now leading them in deception and, and falsehood, okay? Um, Abe, have you ever heard of a, a man named John Piper, theologian? I think he's right here from uh, Minneapolis, but he, a well-known theologian, his son, Abraham uses his TikTok page to post deconstructionist videos to his one million viewers. One million. Listen to the, just I'll just tell you one. A video called It's Weird to Make Kids Read the Bible has been viewed over 866,000 times. And that was a couple years ago. Remember Josh Harris, I Kissed Dating Goodbye? Marty Sampson, Hillsong worship leader, Hawk Nelson's John Steingard, all of these have recently renounced their faith as well. What is happening? And again, it's not just these guys. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not decrying that what, these guys are so dumb. No. What made them not have a foundation that they would... The, the first church would die for what they believed. What made this generation, this generation, these people that have led us in so many ways turn away from the truth and God? I think one of our largest obstacles is that we've relegated Christianity to a belief system rather than a worldview. Okay, let me just explain that for a minute. Christianity is more than just a set of beliefs even though it is a set of beliefs. But it's the way, it's, a worldview is the window through which we see our lives. 
In other words, and that's why, that's why this nation was built on Judeo-Christian values because we said, we're, we're, we don't just believe this, we want to live it in all of our life. We want to live these values in our government, in our schools back in the day. We want to live these values. In every, and see, that, that's the, the culture. That's a worldview. But we've relegated it to, well, do you do believe in Jesus? Yes, but that's the beginning place to reform our lives on what we believe. So look at a familiar verse, Matthew 22, 37. I usually ask you if you're doing all right, but I'm a little scared too right now. <laughs> Matthew 22, 37. I'm reading out of the Amplified. This is a, a very familiar verse. It says, and he replied to him, someone asked, you know, someone was talking to Jesus and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with what? Mind. And this is where I think the church has fallen down the most, is loving God with our minds. Just say amen or oh me. So Kenneth Hagin used to say amen. We, I think we've fallen down in this area. We've just, well, you know, I just feel the spirit. Good. But what can you enunciate about that, right? How can you, how can you talk about him in an intelligent way? And this, is, this isn't all about academics, but it's about training ourselves and why shouldn't we give God everything, right? Our bodies, our souls, and our minds. I'm telling you, Satan is after your mind 24 hours a day. Trying to sh he's trying to shape you in the image of his system right here. Everything that's coming across your path, all the media, media. You can't even get gas without getting something playing on a video for you. I'm like, the first time it happened to me, I'm like, what is this? I can't even think for a minute. I'm getting an advertisement, and they're telling me how to think and what to believe and what I need. Come on. And I'm not against advertising, I'm just saying, all of this, we've blindly gone. You can't go, music that's playing in the stores, all of it is, is a process of infiltrating our thoughts and our minds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For the weapons of our warfare, this, now usually we're thinking, oh good, spiritual warfare. Okay, let's just understand what's being said here. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. And I always say, thank God right there. In God for pulling down. Look at this. That word pulling down literally means demolishing. It doesn't mean just like, oh, I'm going to move you over here. It means smashing it. Demolishing strongholds. Casting down. Demolishing again. Arguments. See, we've relegated this to spiritual warfare, and this is what's going on in our minds. I don't know which side to try. Arguments and every high what thing that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. It's our thoughts in our minds. This, this is what I'm talking about, our perspective in our worldview. See, uh, Paul is writing here, uh, to a world that's steeped in philosophy and paganism, just like our world. And he's saying any thought that doesn't match up with God's word and what he says, destroy it. Oh, I just felt that in the spirit. Everything that doesn't line up with what God says about you and what's true in his word, what God said about salvation and Jesus Christ and the cross and the blood and the atonement, everything that doesn't line up with that, destroy it. Amen. But much of, our, much of our recreation, much of our entertainment is steeped in new age and steeped in Eastern mysticism. And we swallow it. And even the occult. What did Paul say? Help me, I said it four times already. Demolish it. But see, because we don't demolish it, it begins to infiltrate our thinking. And we have to ask ourselves, am I loving God with my mind? Am I loving God with my mind? Colossians chapter 2. We're just going to move through this. You see, each one of us has a worldview. Something is, is shaping the way we believe. 
something is. And we have to make sure it's a Christian worldview and it's based on the scriptures. Colossians chapter 2. In the same way you receive Jesus our Lord, the Messiah by faith, continue your journey of faith, progressing further into your union with him. Your spiritual roots go deeply into his life as you are continually infused with strength. I just think I wanted to read this tonight. Amen? Encouraged in every way. For you are established in the faith you have absorbed and enriched by your devotion to him. Verse 8, beware. Everybody say beware. beware. Now, when you drive up to a house and it says beware of dog, do you just jump out of your truck? No, you beware of dog, right? I, I'm not getting out. Y'all can get out. I'm going to stay in here. Beware, and that's a warning, that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness by pretending to be full of wisdom when they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. Remember what it said we were supposed to do with arguments? Demolish them, right? For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. You guys, it's time for us to really take the challenge of listening to what Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Amen. To dive into setting our foundation. You see, everyone has a worldview. It just depends on what is your worldview based on. We have to know that and decide it. So let me give you these tenets. I have these for you too. Uh, basic tenets of a postmodernist worldview because this tells you it, it's the world we live in. It's kind of the philosophy of the world we live in. But unfortunately, because you can tell if 80% of Christians believe that anybody goes to heaven for any reason, we know that that view is in the church as well. Okay, so this is, their, this is the basic tenets of their faith. First of all, we have revelation and truth. Okay, now, th that's what they think that means, or what they, their view of that is that whatever it means, postmodernists reject special revelation, that's our scriptures, and absolute truth. Okay, there is, that's what postmodernism says, there is no absolute truth. That's what our world is saying today. That's what your kids are being taught in school and in our colleges. That's why, here you go, guys, we have 4% of kids coming out of college that maintain a Christian worldview. What do they believe? About, what, what does postmodernists believe about Scripture? Postmodernists be reject belief in absolute truth as reflected in the inspiration and in inerrancy of the Scripture. Do you remember the orange and white graphic I showed you? That's why we have churches saying the Bible isn't the Word of God. And it isn't inerrant because that's a, that's a postmodern view that is, it, that is showing itself forth in the theology of a church. Okay, what do they believe about God? They, they, Deconstructionism uh, in its ba most basic sense is just change, it changes the, the definition of words. So anyway, well, you can make a word mean anything you want in the moment. Does this sound familiar to anyone? Hey, I think we're talking about what recession means now. I, I don't want to get on a political thing. But God, in deconstructing the normal meaning of words, suggesting words and sentences have no meanings. They have, see, a word doesn't mean anything. You can set its own meaning whatever you want. This is why we have everything going on with our kids and all the stuff where they, they can decide whatever they want to be. Postmoderns take this to the ultimate position in that they agree with Nietzsche that God, which is to say the supreme being of classical theism, has become unbelievable. Now, this, this guy Nietzsche it was a 19th century German philosopher. He's widely read in colleges all over our nation today. After I taught this in one church, I was teaching about postmodernism, and uh, a, a lady came up to me and said, my son was just assigned one of his books in his classes this fall. Don't think that this is far away from our kids. So that's what, that's what they believe about God. Number four, what do they believe about the mission of the church? Well, they don't really believe in the gospel or the Christian faith, so they don't really believe in that. Morality, again, if there's no absolute truth, you just make, you just, your morality is whatever you want it to be. And that's why the world is in uh, the state it's in. It's really a soft atheism. Okay, They don't come out and say they don't believe in God. 
but they believe anything and everything. So what's our answer? What's our resolve in this? What do we do about this? Number one, we are in the world, but not of the world. We're in it. We have to remember. Look at this prayer of Jesus in John 17. Look at this. And I put the word cosmos in there because I don't want us to think it's, we're not on the planet. We are on the planet, y'all. <laughs> we're here on the earth, but we're not of the system. Okay? So I do, if I do not pray, now this is Jesus. I, I'm like, Jesus, I don't know. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world or the world system, the cosmos, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, that's pretty significant because we read in 1 John 5, 19 that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. And so we're in this system, but Jesus prays that we'll be kept from it. And that, that evil one is the same word in, in 1 John 5, 19 of keeping them from the sway. Verse 16 they are not of the world, the cosmos, just as I am not of the cosmos, Jesus. Sanctify them by your truth. Come on, there it is. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the cosmos, I also have sent them into the cosmos. See, what the, what the Lord is saying here, and I think for a long time, the church has just believed that we're going to get snatched out of this thing and we're, it'll be okay. We're just going to get, I'm sorry, but we have to get, stop waiting for the rapture bus. Please don't be mad at me, but I'm telling you, it's crippled the church over the last half of a, half of a, a century. I believe he's coming. I wish he would come today. But if he doesn't, what did he say? Occupy till I come. What did he say? Get busy, do business, do stuff, affect the cosmos for my glory. Amen? Amen. And that's why, number two, that's why this is so, this is why evangelism and discipleship is so important. Amen. Okay? Look at this. Look at a couple verses here, and I've got them on there for you. Mark 16, and he said to them, go into all the cosmos. Okay? Not just, we're not just talking about the ground, and earthly territories, we're going, we're infiltrating an evil world system and snatching people out of that system and out of the blindness of that system and preach the gospel to every creature. Okay, look at Matthew 28 there. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. That's why it's so critical. Teach, that word, that word disciple, and I've got it in, in the parentheses there, teach Pupil, scholar, that means all of those, those words. To, of all nations, all ethnos, tribes, habits, and customs. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching, that word teaching is the Greek word kergima, which means a systematic explanation. I love that. Teaching them systematically to observe all things. See, it's not, not giving them a little brochure and saying, now you belong to the church. Come on, we're teaching them systematically how to live, not in this world system, how to think like a Christian. Come on, I'll just preach to myself, all right? The Message Bible, go out and train everyone you meet far and near. Look at, in this way of life, it's a way of life, it's not a belief system, in this way of life. The complete Jewish Bible, this is really interesting. Therefore, go and make people from all the nations into Talmudim. That's what the Jewish people say. Immersing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach Hohodesh. Okay, now the word Talmudim was a noun that meant disciples in its true sense, but th these people would leave their family to study and follow the ways of their teacher or their rabbi. So in other words, they weren't only learning what to believe, they wanted to live like their leader lived or their master lived. The way of life. See, completely different. Don't just, it's not just about a service on Sunday, although we're thankful for the people that come on Sunday, but it's about living it seven days a week, living it out of that Christian world view. And that's why we need to learn the ways of Jesus. We should be conforming our lives to be like him. We need to allow our thoughts then affect that belief system. And lastly, number three, 
We need to redeem the time. I feel like, man, let's just do, well, you got them both there, but amplified. Making the most of the time. Verse 15 in the New King James, see then that you walk circumspectly, circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. The Amplified says making the very most of the time. Look at this. Buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be vague and thoughtless and foolish, but understanding and firmly grasping the will of God. So, I came here to talk to you about all this, but I also came to talk to you about an opportunity that we're going to offer in this region this fall. And uh, the Lord has really, if you can't tell, I'm just a little bit passionate about this stuff. Um, so I'm sorry if I blew up on you, but I, it just, it's what happens to me when I get to talking about this stuff. Um, uh, can you hand me this stuff? And so what, what I've done is I, I just was praying on how, keep that for a second, how, how can we do this? Most of us can't just leave our jobs and leave our families and, you know, sell everything and move to a place where there's a Bible school and just go, give it up, right? And so, and I was specifically thinking of certain individuals in my life at the time, and so I just was praying and asking the Lord, how can we bring solid foundational theological training to people that have to work, that have jobs, that can't leave their families. How can we do that? Uh, and the Lord just gave me an idea, um, and, so, and that idea turned into Foundations Theological in- Institute. I've written, I think I'm on my either 18th or 19th class now. So we're well into this. But what we like to do is we're, we're, we want to bring this teaching to those that can't go somewhere and get it. And uh, so, what, so what we do is we come in, Actually, the, you're in a classroom. I, I wish that I could get an easier way to explain this. Just let me breathe for a second, okay? I'm, I just blew up a sermon on you. So what we do is, if you would like to be a part of this class, we do five weeks of pre-reading before we, we come, and then we do a, a week of lecture, and then you do five weeks of post-work following that. Basically, that gives you two and a half months of, of school. Now, don't worry about that. It's, you know, are we supposed to read our Bibles every day anyway? Are we supposed to be growing in the things of God? So if, if you can give, give yourself an hour or two a week, you know, and I always tell people, incorporate the assignments into your devotional life. But th- the point is, is we have to grow in our faith, and growing is going to cost us something. Ask farmers, Right? And so, again, we do five weeks of pre-reading, and then we come and do a week of lecture. When we're here for the week of lecture, uh, you get this book, and we go through this entire book in one week. We do, usually do three hours a night, Monday through Friday, and then that's it. We, we leave, and then you, we leave you with post-work. Uh, we're working on getting accredited now. That's a process in itself. But our hearts in this aren't to load you down with work. Our hearts are to challenge you to grow in the things of God. And so um, if you have questions about that, we're actually considering coming here. We have a save the date card. Uh, We're considering coming in this region. We're still trying to figure out location. Um, October, the lecture week would be October 17th through the 21st, but the classwork would start September 12th. So you're actually in it. And I call it saturated learning. You know, it's interesting. I I didn't actually, when I prayed and got this idea, you know, literally this was birthed out of a time of prayer. And I didn't even know it would work. I thought, who could take me that many days in a row? Honestly, Teresa, seriously, who could take me for 15 hours in a row? And so um, I thought, I don't even know if it was worked. I called a pastor friend of mine and asked him what he thought of the concept. And he said, when, you, when can you come? And that's how the school was birthed. I went there the first week and I'm kind of, I'm really nervous because I'm like, I don't even, I'm seriously not knowing if this will work, Okay. And there's one particular girl that I always talk about. She was a single mom with five kids. And she came in the first night, and she, I thought, you don't, you're not even going to stay awake the whole night. I'm telling you, I thought, maybe she'll come one night. That'll be it. Every night she came, and every night she was more strong. She was more full of joy. 
more full of excitement. And I'm telling you, we just watched her grow in the things of God, and it was such a blessing. And you know what I'm most excited about is her passing that down to those five little kids. Yes. Amen? Yes. And so uh, that, that's a quick presentation. If you have questions, obviously, I think we're going to try and come back Wednesday, August 31st. Did he say it was okay? Okay, thank you. <laughs> and so we'll come back, we'll present again, we'll have an opportunity for you to register. The, the cost of the class is $100. And so we're working on online options, that's another thing. Um, but I don't have to tell you all the information right now. But we'll have, you can talk to Becky too, she probably knows as much as I do about it. And so uh, we're at the table. If you want to sign up, we'd love to have your email if you're interested at all, so we can keep you in the loop. Yeah. So if you can if you can only come three out of the five days or four out of the five days, we always record on Facebook Live and so you can catch up on the classes as you're able. So it's not like you're locked into the week. We I'm telling you, you will never find a more flexible instructor than me. I guarantee you. Yeah. <laughs> Sue knows. So uh but I, I think we really the more I dig into this and the more I watch our society and even our country fade the more it puts gas in my tank to do this because we have to do we have to be an answer we have to offer something to stop the slide so as i close tonight i just had it on my heart to pray for prodigals many of you probably know people that have lost their faith or walked away or changed their beliefs not only young but old that they have gotten tired and weary so let's just close our eyes and lift our hands to the lord tonight Thank you, Lord. I just want you to think of those names of prodigals. Maybe when I was talking about deconstructionism or postmodernism, you thought, oh my gosh, that's how my son or daughter believes. Oh my gosh. I mean, I was talking to one of my own kids and I was like, holy smokes, your mom is going to come unglued. Just the thoughts that have gotten into their minds and the way they perceive things. Jesus, have mercy. So God, we know that you see everything. And we know that you love these prodigals more than we do. And God, even though it may look right now like the God of this world has blinded their minds, blinded their perspective, God, we're asking you for a, re a release of your Holy Spirit on these ones. God, our sons and our daughters, our grandchildren, God, our nieces and our nephews, our neighborhood kids, God, people we grew up with, people that used to come to church, God, we cry out, we put their names before you. And God, we break the power of seduction over their lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Second Corinthians 11.3, Paul says he feared lest Satan would seduce us like he seduced Eve. God, I'm tired of watching people be seduced away from the faith. God, intervene in, and then you name your person, God, intervene in this person's life. God, I pray that their heart would be soft to the gospel. God, I pray that they would hunger and thirst for the things of God. God, open their eyes to the glorious truths of the gospel. God, give them a love for Jesus. God, don't let them just, even, even the prodigals that are inside the church that even don't really have a faith, but they just come because they're supposed to. God, stir our hearts in this hour. Stir our hearts, God. Give us urgency for the days that we live in. God, we refuse to lose a generation to satanic ideologies, God, in Jesus' name. We stand in the gap for these ones that are being seduced away by darkness, God. And we say, let them go in the name of Jesus. We plead the blood of Jesus over our families, over our loved ones, over our own minds and our souls against this seduction. Honestly, I don't even think we realize how much infiltration worldly thinking has on us. God, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. God, open our hearts and our minds to the Spirit of God. God, lead us in conversation with our loved ones. Lead us. God, we love you so much. Thank you for these beautiful people. 
God, for, for needs that they have, God, I just lift them before you, God. Needs that are unspoken, God. Needs that they have, things that are burdening their hearts. I pray that you would break in with your glorious light. God, would you strengthen them in this hour of testing, in this hour of trial? God, we love you so much. And we thank you, God, that you are truth, God. And there is absolute truth, God, that your Bible is, your scriptures that you gave us is inerrant and infallible, God. That there is true salvation, God, that we can know that we are on our way to heaven, that you provided a way through your son, Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.